Good afternoon, podcast listeners. This is Rob Plouffe. Welcome back to Mid-Michigan Bowling News, the podcast for bowlers in the greater Flint area and the state of Michigan. All right, welcome back to podcast number six already. It is uh, Tuesday, April 7th, 2020. Looks like the governor of Michigan has... uh, now issued a stay-at-home order until at least April 30th, so I got at least a few more weeks to expand on this podcast for bowling in the greater Flint area. So my last podcast was um, more of the Hall of Fame, kind of stepped back a little from um, my experience with bowling in the greater Flint area and went off of the, uh, the book and the website for the Greater Flint Area Hall of Fame, but I'm going to go back to podcast number four, where I finished up with um, when my good friends, Mr. Tubbs, Mr. Spishak, moved out of the um, out of the junior leagues and joined the adult ranks back in 1988 time frame. And uh, that was also the time frame that I was working out with Don Hargraves, Paul Snyder, Jeff Wilson, and then... Uh, Tubbs and Spishak and Bart Rutledge and some others uh, started joining us in those summer workouts. So I'm going to cover some of that in this podcast and again how we got to where we are today. Um, specifically myself and uh, and I'll include Bob Tubbs because uh, him and I kind of took the same path to get to where we're at. Um, so back in 1987-88 time frame um, when I was working out with Jim Menzing and then uh, that changed to working out with Don Hargraves, they, uh, they used to have these summer workouts. Uh, most of the time they started in, in mid-July and we would go to different bowling alleys, whichever ones that we could find open, and Don would set up these workouts. Some of these workouts were, um, to me at the time, as a 19-year-old kid, I'll say, uh, were a little crazy, and I, I did not understand why Don was having us do some of these workouts. But I enjoyed them, and I knew at some point I was gonna something was gonna click, and I was gonna learn something from these workouts. But back then, it didn't click. It took a while for it to click with me. Um, for example, uh, I remember one of the workouts going to Nightingale Lanes, and um, Don sat us all down in the settee area and said, okay, today's workout is uh, the uh, the last guy to throw a strike has to carry everyone else's bowling equipment out of the bowling alley. And I remember uh, Paul Snyder jumping out of the chair and running up and grabbing his ball and running up and throwing the ball. And <clears throat> myself and Jeff Wilson kind of sat there thinking, like, what what is going on here? While these two were cutting in front of us on the lane trying to throw a strike, we figured if we took our time and made a good shot that we'd, we'd have a better shot at finishing before they did. Well, that wasn't true. Um, and I, I didn't get the lesson at the time. I didn't understand it until I started coaching, actually. So uh, it was a good, it was a good uh, 20 years later before I started using this. But if you start to think about what he was trying to to get across to us in this workout was if you get on the lane before your opponent and you can go up and you can throw a strike, you put the pressure on your opponent. And 
I didn't get that at the time because um, those guys were just like running up there trying to throw a strike because to me it was like, oh, no big deal. I got to carry their equipment out to their car tonight. Didn't matter to me. But when we um, got into competition and the more I realized, the more I watched people, the more I watched the game of bowling, the more it started to click with me that, well, if I can get up on the lane before my opponent and I can strike, it puts the pressure on them, basically, to have to go up and match. So you want to be the, the first one up there. Um, and I'll cover some of this as I go on in these podcasts on how I was coaching when I was coaching the girls team at Kersley. And I'll, I'll tell you some stories. And, and here's a quick one for you. Um, I had a girl on my team. This was uh, probably about five years ago now. We were actually in the state finals bowling and match play. And I had a, a key word that I would say to my team that was a hint to them that they needed to beat their opponent up to the approach and get on the lane and make your opponent watch you. And I said the word, and the, and the girl ran up there, and the opposing team girl had her ball in her hand, was ready to step on the approach, and my girl grabbed her ball, stepped up on the approach before the other girl could, got herself set, and went up and buried a strike. And the opponent turned around, threw her hands in the air, put her ball down, threw her hands in the air, and said, the girl just stepped up on me. Well, she didn't really step up on her. She just beat her up there on the approach. She did go up and throw a strike, which is the very important part of the whole lesson. But the opponent did not throw a strike. In fact, I think she actually threw a hole, and my team took off after that, and the other team fell apart, and we won the match. It was a very, very critical point in match play during the state finals for my team. And it was something that I picked up in a workout from Don Hargraves back in the 80s. And it worked. Um, I've told that secret to some people. Some coaches have tried to use it. I've had some coaches try to use it against me. And there are other ways to use that, that same philosophy while you're coaching or you're in competition. But um, just a quick, uh, one of the things that Don had us do, there were, there were several uh, crazy things like that. Uh, one, one other one that comes to mind was I remember going to roll away lanes uh, at about 6 o'clock at night for a, a workout. It might have been a weekday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And Don got us together and said, okay, here's today's workout. Uh, if you bowl five 200 games, then you can pack your stuff up and go home. And you can't go home until everyone is done. So we all kind of looked at each other like, okay, that's no big deal. Uh, there's, there was four of us, me and Don and Paul and, and Jeff, and kind of figured, okay, five games might take a couple hours and we'll be out of here. Well, they were kicking me out of roll away at about 1230 at night on a weekday because I only had four 200 games and I never did finish and get the fifth 200 game. What Don didn't tell us was he had them oil the lanes about 48 feet, triple oil from gutter to gutter, and the ball wouldn't move a lick. And uh, we had to figure out how to point the ball at the pocket, hit the head pin, and somehow 
fill all of your frames and try to get a 200 game so that you could move on. And at the time I, I didn't get it and I got more and more frustrated because I was shooting 150 after 150. And uh, it took me years later before I realized the lesson that Don was teaching. And it's something that I taught my high school girls over and over again. And the, the, the lesson that comes out of it is, and the, and the big question is, how many strikes do you have to throw to bowl a 200 game? Now, when I usually ask my high school kids that question, they usually say like six, seven, eight. Uh, once in a while, they'll say four. But the real answer is two. It really only takes you two strikes to bowl a 200 game. Now they have to be consecutive. You have to throw a double. But if you pick up your spares, every frame that you don't strike and you can get lucky and throw a double, you can bowl a 200 game. Sounds pretty simple. I didn't get that at the time that Don was having us do that. And uh, nothing but frustration from me as a, a young kid trying to learn the game. And I didn't get it. And Don never, still to this day, has never said, hey, that's what that workout was about it was up to us to figure that out and it is definitely something that I teach my my kids now that I work with that hey if you think about this if you shoot your spares in bowling if you don't ever throw a strike if you just nine spare nine spare nine spare every frame you're going to shoot a 189 game that's a pretty darn good game especially for girls nowadays um, if you're not striking you're shooting 189 that's pretty good it's not a bad game but if you get lucky and you throw a double in there and you spare every frame, now you're shooting 200. Now you're pretty good. Now, the philosophy has changed in the game nowadays because the equipment, the lanes are, are definitely different. The equipment is uh, way better than it used to be back in the 80s. But um, I think that the philosophy has changed. In fact, after talking with Mo Pinnell about this, nowadays, if you, uh, if you can throw... Uh, three strikes and miss a spare that's better than spare 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 throwing a strike it's um, the game has changed to where you need to strike nowadays and uh, spares are not as important as they used to be but it didn't used to be that way and uh, and I still teach my girls to this day that the spares are very important and uh, there's a saying out there that I uh, actually heard uh, Ken Richard from Tecumseh say this thing, and uh, I copied it, and I've said it over and over again, that uh, strikes will win games, but spares win championships. And I think it's very, very true in the game of bowling, that if you can learn to pick up your spares, you can win some championships, because uh, those spares are very, very important. Um, there were several other workouts that Don had us do, um, some that we started with, where you would uh, just bowl for hours, holding your form at the line, um, holding your arm up after you let go of the ball, which is not much. Uh, people don't te teach that too much anymore, but um, holding your form at the line is like the number one important thing. We used to do hours and hours of that. Um, I, I can't go through every single workout that Don had us do. Um, but as they changed, as those workouts changed, as we added more people, like the following year when uh, Bob Tubbs and Sean Spishak joined us, there were other lessons involved there. And uh, 
I think Tubby will attest to this when he hears this. The very first year, I was telling Tubby, you got to come join us in these summer workouts, man. These things are amazing. So he begged Don to let him participate, and Don agreed. And Don told him, you know, meet us at the bowling alley at, be at uh, Nightingale or whatever bowling alley we're at at 6 o'clock. Well, Tubby showed up late, and uh, he uh, apologized to Don. Hey, I'm late tonight, and he's getting his shoes on. And Don said, what are you doing? And he said, uh, well, I'm getting my shoes on. And he said, no, don't bother putting your shoes on. You're late. You're not bowling. And he said, oh, okay, well, uh, I apologize for being late, but when's the next workout? And he said, there isn't a next one. You, you were late. You missed it. You're done. Come back next year. We'll talk about it next year. And uh, he didn't let him work out. It was a lesson for, for Tubby, and it was a lesson for myself and everyone else involved there that if you were going to be serious about your game, then you needed to be on time. And uh, he was taking time out of his day to come work with us, and he expected us to be there on time. And uh, it still to this day is probably one of my number one pet peeves and any of the girls that bowl for, for me or have bold for me will tell you that is one of my number one pet peeves. If I say practice is at four o'clock, you better be there at four o'clock. There's penalties if you're not. Same thing if we're going to a tournament or a competition. You better be there on time. And on time for a tournament or a competition is early. You better be there early. It's it's a life lesson for bowlers um, in in all of bowling because um, especially for us as coaches, if you're working with kids, when you grow up and you get a job, your job expects you to be on time. It's not okay to be late to work all the time. So if you're, uh, participating and you're committing to bowl in a bowling league and it starts at six o'clock at night, you don't show up for bowling at six fifteen and think it's okay. You're putting everyone else out that's on the bowling league. They got to wait for you to make up frames it's it's a pain in the butt so uh it was definitely a life lesson that i learned from uh a don hargraves workout um i wish i had taken better notes when i was a kid when i was a teenager and wrote down a lot of these workouts that don did but a lot of what he taught me and jim menzing taught me that came from guys like mac mckinnon and others that um Steve Bisco, those those kind of guys, those lessons are still being passed on years from years ago to kids nowadays, and it still works. Trust me, it still works. Um. Anyways, I wanted to uh, double back and go back and tell you how uh, Tubby and I started with, um, when Tubby moved out of the junior leagues, because uh, I was talking to him about this on the phone a few days ago, and he was he was refreshing my memory on this, but. Um, when Tubby was in the junior leagues, um, and myself, we were both pretty active as far as, I think I told you before, I was the secretary. Tubby was on the youth leaders. He actually helped out Dan Ottman in the uh, MGMA. He was on the board of directors for the state of Michigan for youth leaders. Um, he was definitely involved with a lot of the uh, background stuff in bowling as a youth bowler. So when he moved to the adult leagues in 1988 it was just natural for him to want to be involved with everything that was bowling in the greater Flint area so 
before he even threw a ball in the men's league, he asked me if I would go to a meeting with him. And at the time, it was at uh, Town & Country Lanes. It was before the season started. It was in August, and they were going to elect a new member to the Flint Men's Bowling Association. And Bob wanted to be on that bowling association. So I went to the meeting with him and uh, helped get him elected as a 22-year-old kid who hadn't even thrown a ball in the men's league. He became the youngest member ever of the Flint Men's Bowling Association. And he worked his way up through the Flint Men's Bowling Association over eight or nine year time frame before he became the president of the Flint Men's Bowling Association at 30 or 31 years old. And still to this day, Bob Tubbs is the youngest president ever of the Flint Men's Bowling Association. And I remember um, him being elected to the Bowling Association back before he even started. I remember going to those meetings and helping him get elected. But once Bob became active in the bowling association, he um, he was involved with helping run tournaments. And at that time, back in the late 80s, early 90s, I was getting involved in the Flint 700 Club. Um, both of us had uh, attended college together. And when we finished college, um, we were bowling in the men's league. He was involved in the bowling association. I was involved in the 700 club. He also got involved in the 700 club. And, and uh, we, we tried to, between the two of us, we tried to help expand some of the bowling in the greater Flint area. So um, I know Bob told me the story about him running the uh, sponsor appreciation tournament. At that time, I think it was called the captain sponsor tournament. Um he said the first year he ran it was a disaster. He thought they were going to run him off of the uh, bowling association. But then the year after that, they got a sponsor and it turned into a big deal. And it was a really, really great tournament for years. Um, I'm not even sure that they even run that tournament anymore. But um, I remember bowling in the 700 clubs thinking, you know, at the time they had a singles tournament and they had a, they had a team tournament that traveled around the state in the fall. And there wasn't much else to do with the 700 Club. It was like, well, why do we have this 700 Club if you're only going to run one or two tournaments a year? Why don't we run some more? And I remember going to some meetings with uh, Jerry Puckett at the time, who was the president of the the uh, Flint 700 Club. And there were some others. John Longcarvick was involved, uh, myself, and then... Uh, Tubby joined me. John Roof was another that got involved in the Flint 700 Club. But I do remember um, going to the meetings and saying, why don't we add some more tournaments? Why don't we do a, a doubles tournament or a trio tournament? Um, why don't we do uh, more 700 Club tournaments? Because people are interested in these. And I remember getting a lot of pushback from Jerry Puckett was one of them. And they actually made me take a poll. And I remember doing this at Northwest Lanes for the annual singles tournament back in probably 1991 time frame-ish that I took a poll of all of the bowlers that were there. And then there were a few hundred people there for this singles tournament and asked them all. I actually had a little slip that I passed out and had them fill it out if they were interested in adding more tournaments. So the results of my poll were obviously uh, yes, that people were interested in more tournaments. 
and the one that I was assigned to add was a trio tournament. And we started that in the early 1990s in the Flint 700 Club that um, expanded to a doubles tournament. It also expanded to a um, the national tournament, which uh, Bob Tubbs and Jerry Puckett had a lot to do with. And uh, the Greater Flint area actually hosted the National 700 Club tournament for years out to Galaxy Lanes, which uh, was taking place in the in the summertime. But um, the the story is that at that time, back in the early 90s, there we recognized that there was a need to add some more tournaments, some more competition, because people were interested in doing that. And uh, I was lucky enough to be a part of some of that. I'd like to take some credit for it, but um, a lot of that idea came from Mr. Tubbs. And uh, a lot of the tournaments that you see around the Greater Flint area still to this day are a lot of the ideas of Mr. Tubbs, which came from guys like Dan Ottman, um, Al Tuber, and others that were uh, influences on him, myself, and others. And uh, Bob has a lot of great ideas. He's done a lot for the uh, sport of bowling in the Greater Flint area, more than most people will ever, ever know. But um, he was, uh, I was asking him this the other day too. He Once he moved up to the men's league, he jumped in, got into the Flint Men's Bowling Association. Within a couple of years of bowling in the men's league, he was named as the secretary of a bowling league. And then another bowling league found out that he was a secretary, so they nominated him. And then another one, and uh, before he knew it, he was running three or four bowling leagues. Didn't have enough time to uh, do anything with his job, and um, he was getting pretty serious with his wife at, um, you know, they were talking about marriage and stuff. So he, he actually cut back. But I remember in 1992, that is the year that um, my wife and I got married and we were bowling on the guys and dolls league on Saturday nights at Nightingale. And Bob Tubbs was the secretary in 1992. And he was also the secretary of the Flint city league on Friday nights, and he was also the secretary treasurer of the Playboys League on Thursday nights at Nightingale. And um, Bob was telling me, I, I can't handle doing all of these leagues, secretary treasurer duties. I got to give one of them up. I'm going to give up the Guys and Dolls League. And he said, you should take it over. Well, I didn't have any issue with that because I had done that work before in the junior leagues, and I kind of wanted to get involved in it. So I actually took over as the secretary treasurer league of the guys and dolls league. And I think it was the 1993 season could have been the 1994 season because Bob did it for a few years, but, um, I was the secretary treasurer between myself and my wife. Um, we ran that guys and dolls league for, from 1993 timeframe until the league actually, uh, folded because Nightingale closed up in 2012. So it was almost 20 years that my wife and I helped run the Guys and Dolls League. And that league went from um, 18 teams to 24 teams. We actually dropped down to about 16 teams. And then we merged with uh, the league that was bowling next to us at Nightingale. And we were at one time 28 to 30 teams bowling on the Saturday Night Guys and Dolls League at Nightingale Lanes. 
Um, back that was back in the mid 1990s to late 1990s, and uh, when we when we actually had to move the league because Nightingale closed in 2012, we moved it over to Richfield, but Richfield didn't have any openings on Saturday night, so we went to Friday night at uh, Nightingale Lanes, or I'm sorry, at uh, Richfield Bowl, and um, it was an every other week Friday night on our uh, Guys and Dolls League, and it um, it dwindled down to where we had less than 10 teams, and I decided to uh, stop bowling. I gave up bowling for a little while while I was coaching my my daughters, so the league folded at that point. But um, those were great times. Learned a lot from being the secretary treasurer of a bowling league, and uh, a lot of that was because of Bob Tubbs as well. So um, this is just uh, another way to uh, give you guys an idea of um, some of my background in the Greater Flint bowling community, where my experience came from, how I ended up, where I ended up being the coach of the Kersey Girls bowling team for 15 years, and uh, some of the things that I've done to get there. So um, I'm going to I'm gonna cut this one off at this point. We're going to cut this podcast off. I'm over 25 minutes, but I would like to um, pick back up, tell you some more history of the uh, City League the classic leagues that I bowled in, some of the great people that I got to bowl with and learn from. And um, from that point, I think I'll uh, I'll move into um, bowling on uh, Saturday nights as well, the Guys and Dolls League, some of my experiences with that and how my game changed from being uh, – serious about being bowl, being a bowler to uh, trying to have some fun with the game so that you get an idea where that came from. And then I'll, uh, I'll start touching in on my podcast on my coaching career at Kersley and some of the things that I have done with my team. It'll be a uh, documentary on how you should run your high school bowling team um, per Jim Tuber. Because he's asked me to do that. So uh, this is it for today. It is uh, Tuesday, April 7th. And I'll pick up again in a couple days and we'll talk some more about the Classic Leagues and bowling in the Classic Leagues in the 1990s in the Greater Flint area. Hope you enjoyed. Have a great day. Take care.